Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. If you had to use just one word to describe the state of the economy right now, how would you do it? Oi, I'm a writer. I like to use more than one word. <laughs> uh, okay, one word I'd say recovering. One phrase though, if I can, I'd say better than most people think. You cheated a little bit, but we'll give you an entire podcast to explain it all. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I'm Megan Casella, and I'm an economic policy reporter with Politico. A picture is worth a thousand words. A podcast about the weird state of the economy is worth, I don't know how many, but you're about to find out. Megan Casella on the state of the economy. So reading your reporting on the state of the economy right now, it looks to me like there are kind of three things going on. One, the recovery element. The economy is strengthening. That's obviously a good thing. But there's also inflation, supply chain problems, uh, labor shortage. I want to talk to you about both the good and the bad ends of things here. Let's start with the good. How exactly is the economy recovering right now? So we're seeing some gains across a number of sectors. The biggest indication we've gotten recently is the jobs report on Friday for the month of October showed that jobs were being created across the border. Jobs were coming back in a number of industries, and especially in industries like leisure and hospitality that are in-person services that have really been really hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic. And not only did we see a healthy number of jobs created in October, but we also saw the government revise their numbers for August and September, which is completely standard. Mm -hmm. They do this all the time, but they revise them upwards pretty significantly. So there had been this wisdom based on the data and this narrative that August and September were really bad slowdown months when the coronavirus pandemic, the Delta variant, took hold. And while they were still slower months, they're actually not as bad as we had initially thought. So it was a pretty strong day across the board when you're looking at the labor market in terms of where things are going from here. Okay, so that all sounds pretty good, but let's talk about the not-so-good stuff here. Um, supply chain problems, labor shortage, inflation. Um, I mean, I, I guess for me, I don't really know the economy very much. So when I say those three things, are they all connected to each other? Are these sort of all different phenomenon? Like what's going on with this bad stuff? Supply chain, labor shortage, inflation. What, what's going on there? They're different, but they're all connected. All of it's connected, right? The whole economy. Okay. And so, you know, what we have are real problems there on supply chain issues they're, they're very real. There are these backlogs that, you know, it started as far back as March and April 2020 with toilet paper when there were shortages and not enough toilet paper on the shelves. And it mm -hmm. was something that we thought would sort of ease really quickly. But it's continued. And it's a number of different reasons why. A big reason is that consumer demand for goods in particular has been really high. People were able to save money. People aren't spending their money on going out to eat or going to concerts. It's starting to come back. But for months, we've been just buying goods instead of services. And so that means that more goods are moving through the supply chain than ever. So they're having trouble keeping up. And other reasons why they're having trouble keeping up are also because of shutdowns in factories in places like Southeast Asia, like Vietnam, where 
a lot of these goods are originating from. And it's also because of the labor shortage, meaning there aren't enough truck drivers on the roads in the U.S. There aren't enough workers there to unload goods off the ports. And that's why we're seeing these container ships sitting in the port sometimes for days and weeks at a time. Hmm. And the labor shortage, so it's a separate problem. It's, of course, contributing to the supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. The labor shortage is different, and it's it's still hard to explain because it's sort of still evolving. Um, you know, there's different things. We know that some people are still afraid to go back to work because of the coronavirus. Those numbers are dropping, but that's still a significant share of people who aren't at work, who used to work, because they're afraid of catching the coronavirus and spreading it either, catching it themselves or spreading it to their family. We saw a higher than average number of retirements over the past 18 months. And so that's contributed on that end. Um, And then we saw um, we're continuing to see childcare issues. And women in particular have dropped out of the labor force in order to take care of their kids and their families and haven't yet returned, in part because they're having trouble accessing and paying for childcare. And then the supply chain issues and the labor shortage issues are contributing in part to inflation because when there's all this demand for goods, but not as many goods flowing through those supply chains or being unloaded off the ships and getting onto the store shelves, then people are bidding up the prices. And so they're offering to pay more um, or businesses might say we had to pay our workers more, so we need to charge more for the goods. And there's all this pent up demand in the economy and a limited amount of supply. And so we're seeing those prices continuing to rise. Okay, so... A lot of this is connected and there's the good stuff. There's the bad stuff we just talked about. I mean, when you put it all together, when you consider it all together, I I know I asked you to describe the economy in one word, which is kind of impossible to do. I mean, how do you describe it in a ton of words when you jumble all of that together? You've got these gains in the, the jobs market, but then you've also got supply chain problems, labor shortages, inflation. What does that all add up to? When I talked to the White House recently about the economy, one of the things that they emphasize and their allies emphasize is there's growing pains. This is an underlying pretty strong economy. This wasn't a normal recession that was caused by any real weaknesses. So we're looking pretty good. But when you shut down an economy and you start to reopen it and you expect everything to go back to normal immediately, it's just not going to happen. And so I think what I would say is that the economy is doing pretty good. We still have to recover from these intense shocks of the past 18 months. Workers are really reevaluating their lives and deciding what they want to do. That's trickling through um, and it's causing some problems. The coronavirus is still lingering. That's causing some problems. But we are seeing improvements on the whole. And on average, it looks like we're heading in the right direction. You mentioned workers reevaluating their roles and everything. And I guess I'm curious about like the everyday effects of the state of the economy right now, because it sounds really good on paper to see these job gains and like new jobs being available. And when you consider labor shortages, it's like, oh, there are a bunch of jobs available for people who who might have been out of work during the pandemic. But then when you consider that some of them are in service and that people might be in a position where like after the pandemic, they're thinking, you know, I don't necessarily want to go into a job where I might not have room for growth. I don't know. What, what does this mean for everyday people? It's really interesting because we don't know exactly what everyone's doing. There's so many different layers to this. But on the whole, it looks like workers have said, OK, I made it through this really intense pandemic. Maybe they had to stay working at their restaurant or their hospital at the peak of the pandemic when everything was scary and everyone thought they were catching coronavirus. And now that they're through it, they sort of say, do I want to do that again? Do I want to put my family through that again? Do I want to keep putting myself at risk? 
especially if my wages aren't going up or especially if, you know, I'd rather make double um, and that sort of thing. And there's not enough of a perk or an incentive to stay. So people are leaving jobs, but it's not just those frontline industries. It's even people who, you know, might have been working a white collar job remotely and their mental health suffered last year, maybe because they had someone close to them get sick. Maybe it was just the isolation. Maybe it was just day after day working this job that they decided you know, I've learned that things can change on a dime and I don't want to do this anymore. And maybe they were able, especially in the white collar, wealthier sectors, they were able to build up some savings through the pandemic. And now they say, I'm going to take my time and quit this job and think about what I might want to do next. And so there's stories like that across the spectrum. Some of them are really, really people in dire need that just they can't afford childcare and they have to stay home. But other people, you know, are much more comfortable and just said, I'm really not enjoying what I'm doing. And I'm going to take this time to quit my job and think about something completely new in a brand new industry that I've never considered before. And one of the things I think is so interesting, I said at the start, is that the economy is doing in many ways better than most people think. And it's because we're getting this strong data and things really are improving. And yet the poll numbers on the economy show that almost half of voters think that things are going to get much worse over the next year. And more than half, 60 percent, disapprove of the president's handling of the economy. And so at some point, perception is what matters and people have this really negative feeling. And I think it's in part because they're hearing all this stuff about labor shortages, about supply chain disruptions. They're seeing local restaurants have to cut their hours because they don't have enough workers, or they're seeing empty shelves in the grocery store and they're seeing their gas prices rise. And it feels like everything's going terribly. And it's partly because we have to wait for all these trends to settle out and we're not exactly sure where they're going to land. Megan Casella, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. Also today, the January 6th committee is honing in on the top people linked to former President Trump's last-ditch attempt to overturn the 2020 election. Newly subpoenaing campaign employees and allies linked to the infamous war room that was used to strategize how to reverse the election results. The committee is demanding testimony from half a dozen people, including some who met with Trump personally as he tried to deny the election results. On Monday, they subpoenaed John Eastman, Michael Flynn, and former New York Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, as well as campaign staffers Jason Miller, Bill Stepien, and Angela McCallum. And the Biden administration is taking a major swipe at ransomware criminals with a suite of announcements about prosecutions, payment recoveries, financial sanctions, and bounties. On Monday, the Justice Department charged two associates of a Russian-speaking ransomware gang with perpetrating a spate of attacks, including one that led to a major cascade of digital intrusions worldwide. The Treasury Department announced sanctions against the two men, as well as a cryptocurrency exchange that has facilitated ransom payments. The increasing pressure on the ransomware ecosystem comes as President Biden looks for signs that Russian President Vladimir Putin has heeded his appeals to crack down on digital extortion activity under Moscow's jurisdiction. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.